thin man in a red hat is walking through the desert. His plastic gallon jug of water is almost empty. He wears a filthy suit. I'm 15 years old, perched in front of the TV. The VHS player whines, and the tracking is wobbly. This film has been watched over and over again, it seems. I saw it was written by Sam Shepard and grabbed it from the shelf, hoping it was available. In the backward small town I grew up in, his one-act play collections felt like contraband. His crooked teeth and unflinching gaze on the cover. But it's the music in this film that holds me. Three hanging notes on a slide guitar. They dangle in the air, and I am hypnotized. Time suddenly has no meaning. I'm Marco, and this is Songbird. So, in case it wasn't obvious, that's the opening scene from Paris, Texas. I was describing a remarkable film by Wim Wenders. It's basically the reason I went to film school is the easy explanation of its effect on me. There's a million things you can say about this movie, but the music by Ry Cooter, it just turned over a new page in people's minds of what you could accomplish. And the thing is, he did it with so little. I mean, normally when you think about a film soundtrack, it's this giant orchestra and these kettle drums and, you know, just it's explosions. And here's a guy just doing it all on a a lovely national guitar. I mean, that's the real magic trick. What's really interesting is that those handful of notes he's playing are actually... I guess you could say lifted or inspired by or an interpretation of a pretty amazing song called Dark Was the Night, Cold Was the Ground, which was written in 1927 by Blind Willie Johnson. There's so many lessons in this because obviously when I heard it, he owned those notes so much that they were his. And if you don't know Dark Was the Night, Cold Was the Ground, I highly recommend you check it out. I've been trying to be good and put uh, links to all the songs I mentioned in the podcast in the show notes. So if you just go to songbirdpodcast.com in this episode, you're going to get all this stuff right there. So in this episode, we're talking about track three from my debut album, Heaven Get Behind Me. It's called Long Tall Man. You know, I I said long tall man when I was into my iPhone when I was doing the demo. And I I don't really know why I said that. It made sense at the time. But even in the final recording, I said, you you need to say that just before you start playing. It maybe just put me in the right space to tell the story. So who is the long tall man? Well, first of all, I do believe in things remaining a mystery. And I'd rather have you imagine who the long tall man is than for me just to spell it out to you. 
I'll let you kind of lean over the table and look at a couple of my cards on this one. I'll meet you halfway. So I had just watched this really beautiful documentary about Towns Van Zandt. It's called Be Here to Love Me. And you know, so many of these documentaries are just sort of lots of stock footage and it's a very traditional biopic. And you could probably finish everyone's sentence in it because you know what everyone's going to say. And this just was not that. This is a lot of found footage that's never been seen before. And you get to see Towns as kids and it's just very, very intimate. I urge you all to track it down and watch it. And when the movie was over, I just found myself wondering about what it was like to be a kid, specifically the kid that grew up to be Towns. And then I thought, well, the song has to answer that question. So I started to think about what his friends said about him. Anyone that cared about him or or loved him, they understood that this relationship was going to bring them an incredible amount of heartache. And they also understood at the same time that they could not leave him. And that's how I got to this little fragment, you ain't going home. And what that meant to me was, you're stuck with him. You're not going anywhere. Where he goes, you go. And that brought me to, Suzanne, I don't know you so well. But if he loves you, I love you too. You can't go home today, girl. You ain't going home. So this song is basically a D chord. I mean, it's kind of stuff around a D chord, but it's it's a D chord. So I'm in standard tuning for the first time on the album. I had a capo on the, I think it was the third fret on the demo. And when I recorded, I ended up going to the fifth fret. That's really definitely part of the process of finding that comfort for your voice. So the reason I thought this song was actually working is because it was all about the voice and the melody and the phrasing and this D chord and the stuff that happens around the D chord was kind of a call and response. The voice says something and the guitar is the reply. You suddenly turn into a whole band and that is Blues 101 my personal influence, Sunhouse, he's Delta Blues. And yes, there's a million subcategory of blues, but if you listen to Sunhouse and Delta Blues, he sings something and then he plays something. That's not so radically different for what I'm trying to do here. So I wrote this on my 100-year-old parlor guitar. And what blows my mind is that Blind Willie Johnson wrote Dark Was the Night, Cold Was the Ground in 1927. And my guitar was around then. Someone had it then. Someone was playing it at the same time. And it's kind of crazy that right now, it's 2020. There's artificial intelligence and facial recognition. And singers use something called auto-tune. And here I am, playing a freaking D chord, singing this song in my living room on that guitar. That piece of history that's in my hands. All right. Let's hear the demo. Long tall man. Twenty percent white all of the time. Three months in the hospital. 
Some demos are just magical, and other demos are just the roadmap for where you want to go. There are no goosebumps when I hear this one, but there's also nowhere to hide. I do think the lyrics come across, but there's no gas in the tank yet. We're not going to satisfy anyone with this. We're not going to move anyone with this yet. I did something I think that's pretty interesting that might be subtle, is I decided to take a number of positions. So what we're trying to do is see this person, this long, tall man, through their own eyes, and then we're kind of seamlessly shifting to seeing them through their friend's eyes, and then they're also revisiting their childhood. So what is that? uh, Memory eyes? All of these different facets, these these different faces, I kind of like to think it's like a sculpture. But this is not some flat thing. We're not standing in one place describing or explaining something from one position. We're getting all kind of sides and angles and inside, and we're actually going back in time a little bit. And of course, none of this is clear, and none of this is obvious. And it's not like I'm going to fail if you don't know that. I'm just telling you, that's what I was consciously doing. And whatever comes across, I think it's just the emotions that are connected with all that. I think it's the nostalgia and the heartbreak, all the other things that this stirs up in you. That's all I was really trying to do. You can go home today, girl. You ain't going home. I guess we have to talk about the elephant in the room. Clearly, I do not write songs that rhyme. (laughs) Of course, that begs the question, is this a song? I actually begged uh, some of the PR people to share with me the rejections we were getting on a lot of the tracks that they were trying to get people to premiere or just review or something. I loved that one of them said, these are just like poems set to music. You know, what can I say? Everyone has their opinion. I mean, I will say I'm not reading the lyrics, I am singing them. 
But you know what's interesting is I got this criticism from, I'm not going to say their name, a very recognized, very successful singer-songwriter who very kindly gave a listen to everything. But he said to me, he's like, dude, you could rhyme sometimes, you know, it wouldn't kill you. And yet my immediate reaction was, do you know this band, The Innocence Mission? Because they have like, what, 10 albums now? They have never freaking rhymed. Or if they rhymed, it's like one song out of 50. I get it. It's hard to write songs that rhyme. I mean, respect. I'm not saying one is better than the other. All I know is this is how I write, and this is my voice. And you think this is easy? (laughs) So I love this term. I learned how to thread the needle, how to sing this stuff that I'd written and have it feel comfortable in my mouth. And in a perfect world, you don't even miss the fact that they don't rhyme. Rhyming actually makes me feel very tense. I feel like I have to paint inside the lines very, very carefully, and I know I'm going to screw up. And it just creates, like, tons of ajita with me. And you know, I just heard this Chinese proverb last week. So it says, Tension is who you think you should be. Relaxation is who you are. So, you know, put that on the break room wall and put some kittens on it and see what people say. All right, now we're really going to drink some singer-songwriter Kool-Aid. So I have this song that's really bare bones. Don't ask me how I got there, but I thought about when it rains and how when it's raining, we act a certain way and we think a certain way. And on a rainy day, you you look out the windows and you decide if you're going to stay in or if you're going to go out and get wet. And I started to invoke a sense of space. And I wasn't trying to accomplish this in a conscious way. It was just a feeling and a very specific texture. I had this hope that the listener would take a leap of faith. And I know it's completely abstract, but it's also really specific at the same time. And I just thought to myself, this song is drenched. So on the recording side, I played my Gretsch Electromatic, big hollow body, and I plugged it into my Fender Pro Junior. I turned it up pretty good, and I put it in my daughter's bedroom with a long cable, and I mic'd the guitar amp with a harmonica mic. And then my vocals recorded on the Neumann TLM-102, like the entire album, So that's how I was able to record vocals and guitar at the same time, even if it was an amplified loud guitar, because the amp was in the other room with the door closed. People keep asking me, you really played guitar and sang at the same time and everything? And the answer is yes. The central performance on every single track began with me and some kind of guitar playing at the exact same time, typically mic'd with just the one mic, this situation, yeah, we mic the amp with the second microphone. And then I did some resonator overdubs. I have a Regal RC2 Duolian, if anybody cares. Basically, resonators can have wood bodies or metal bodies. They can have three cones in them or one cone in them, and they all sound different. Mine has a single cone in it, and the body is metal, and it is heavy as shit. If you had an intruder and you had this to defend yourself, they would be flattened. It is a freaking tank. 
When I'm adding additional tracks or overdubs, I really don't over-rehearse. And you can kind of just capture something solid by rolling and then listening to it and say, oh, shit, I already got it. Okay, good. So I think I only did two or three passes. And sometimes I edit them and, you know, just get rid of the mistakes. And what happened was I had two tracks that were actually quite different. On one, I was sliding up at one point, and the exact same moment, on a different take, I was sliding down. And I thought, okay, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pan one all the way to the right, I'm going to pan the other one all the way to the left, and I'm going to make people feel like it's like a rubber band that's being stretched, or, I don't know, like a candle that's burning at two ends. But that was definitely a great studio accident when you think you're going to be recording one overdub and two are on. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's in. All right. So let's listen to the final track. Long Tall Man.
When I started writing this song, I just kept thinking, pain is pain, and no one's pain can be measured or compared. There's just people that are in pain and people that are, you know, doing okay. And those little corners we turn in this where someone's confessing something and they're finding relief. They're admitting that they're in pain, that they hurt. And I know it sounds obvious, the act of admitting it is a very real experience. That moment when you come clean to, to someone and maybe you're talking to a tree or your, your kid when they're sleeping. But that moment when you come clean and you say, I'm in pain. And I think that is the moment that this song is trying to live in. Plaintive songwriting. I keep hearing this term. Plaintive means there's no mystery. It's just describing in such a simple way. And some people will say plaintive means plain and, and drab and mundane and uh, maybe too humble to be interesting. And okay, I mean, I hear you. But you know, I have a good friend named Brenda Cullerton, who's a hell of a fucking writer. And what she says is, when you elevate the mundane, you've really fucking done something. So amen, Brenda. I'm, I'm right with you. You know, Flaubert, Madame Bovary. You're going to tell me that's a plaintive novel that's uh, not substantial? I mean, this is kind of the bedrock of most modern literary fiction. This song is really minimal. I mean, there's almost nothing there. But the sentiment and the moment and the atmosphere, there's crickets on the front porch, and I don't know, I, th I think it's a good start to a great story. It's like a hopper painting that maybe came to life. I'm hoping that's what it is. I believe that's what it is. You tell me if I'm exaggerating. I'm, I'm prepared to be wrong. But uh, that's where I was trying to go with it. This is the fancy part where I can tell you where to find us. We're on iTunes. Now we're on Spreaker. We're on Spotify. We're on Overcast. And by the way, if you look for us on Stitcher, they hide the new episodes. They're just complete dicks. Or you can just go to our website, songbirdpodcast.com, and that's where you get all the show notes. And hey, <laughs> my album's out now, so Heaven Get Behind Me is available. All you have to do is look for Martin Ruby. We explained the mystery of me being Marco and the band named being Martin Ruby in the previous episode, and that's why I hope people are starting at the beginning so that this all makes sense. If you want to buy the album, please buy it on Bandcamp. Yes, you can also buy it on iTunes and Amazon and those places. And, of course, you can stream it on Spotify, iTunes, Deezer, Yandex Music. I'm in freaking Yandex Music in Moscow. You can stream me, you know. Don't I feel fancy. Let's give a big shout out to Bunky Hunt and the Wrecking Crew at Whistle Pig Records. Making a ruckus in the basement. 
Next time on Songbird, a woman in a blue dress, a California divorce, and a hearse driver named Tiny Lazarus. Thanks for listening.